listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half an hour or so we're going to be talking all things food and drink. I'm joined by my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd, head of client at Hearst Publications and founder of Great British Chefs. Hey, Hello. How's it going? Middle of January. Middle of January. How's the um, New Year's resolutions going? The resolution well, so I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a meat free so that means I'm still doing fish and still doing, you know, animal products, which is which is fine. I, I haven't got a problem with that really. And uh, yeah, trying to be a bit more, you know, tread a bit more lightly. I think was our phrase, which I which people asked me about, um, and I keep talking about. I think I think it's important. And I'm also joined by Holly Shackleton. Hi, editor of Speciality Food Magazine. Where have you been? You've not been here for ages. I was. I've had to. I've had to talk to Ollie on kidnapped. my own. I was, I was traveling the world on my own. I was doing. Kidnapped. I was doing nothing. I missed you. We you locked me out like I would have come. I'm sorry. You changed the locks, didn't we? <laughs> and um, so we, so uh, the a couple of programs that you missed. Me and um, Ollie were talking about news resolutions. Uh, one of them was we thought was very good, uh, offered by some of our guests, wasn't it? Tread yes. more lightly. Mm. We thought it was a good one, very which good. basically means just drink and eat really, really good, expensive stuff, but not as much of it. Well, it also meant more, it. Meant more broadly, which is like you know when you can occasionally take the tube rather than you know drive, do so, you know walk that extra bit. So just trying to... In terms of environment, try, and tr- try not to leave such a big footprint and all that. We thought it was quite good. Right. Just round the edges. Yeah, yeah. walk on hard ground rather than soft, you know. That kind of thing. What's that got to do with anything? Try more lightly. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> um, and uh, I've decided, obviously, I've, I'm wearing a bit more Ollie-type shirts. You yeah. are. A Ollie blouse on at the moment. It's beautiful. Very, very beautiful. It's very Ollie-like. So can I just ask you, why have you got a very, very flowery shirt and then like a... Mondrian jumper. I don't know. It's what they it's don't like, go it's, together. It's just what came out of the other. Also, wardrobe. one one collars out and one's in. Well, Did yeah. you know that? <laughs> you know, that's why it's called radio. He doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. You, you know, um, maybe over the over the course of the recording, you know, you know. Yeah. Whatever. Oh. Um, and we're joined by three lovely guests. Of course, um, the first is Marcus Stripf which I think I got right there, uh, from Spoon Guru. Good morning. We're going to learn all about that. We're going to talk a lot about artificial intelligence. Do you know what artificial intelligence I do. is? Great, because I'm going to test you on that later. Um, Helena uh, Rogers of True. Hello. Are you providing us a breakfast this morning? Yes, of course. Excellent, because I haven't had any. And Nick Popovici of Vita Mojo, who we know very well. I think you're a winner of the Future Food Awards. Great product. Did you know that, Nick? I bet yes, you don't. I did. I bet you didn't even know that. I did. I did. I did. <laughs> I did. Um, and we love what you do. And I think part of that is uh, to do with artificial intelligence. So Helen is going to provide us with breakfast <clears throat> and a little bit about treading lightly, I think. And um, and then Marcus and Nick are going to enlighten us on artificial intelligence <clears throat> as it, you know, sort of... Uh, Changes our world. Well, hmm. so you said you know what it is. Tell me what it is. I've got a list here. So you got a list. Well, um, no, I mean, look, I, I, I'm, I'm not a computer programmer. I didn't do um, computer science at university. Um, look, ultimately, it's, it's it's the ability for computers to learn and essentially generate through correct programming um, solutions. So, in the end, as as the computer does a thing on a repetitive um, 
mode. It essentially learns and discovers new patterns and new things. It's clearly a lot more complicated than that. That's sort of a rough layman's version of it. Yeah, so when I sort of started using computers, <clears throat> you know, it was sort of like zero and one. Mm. And it was sort of yes and no. And you program, you know, things to do things particularly way. And it's so gone so far beyond that. And I think actually, actually you're absolutely right. It's, it's enabling a computer to sort of try and think or act in a more human way, you know, a, a bit more of an intuitive way and, and taking data from all sorts of sources to come up with, with, with answers and solutions or suggestions. So the most obvious one for me, I guess in a very simplistic way, was when, this years and years back, when Amazon were sort of, you know, logging all of the, the sort of purchases you've made or your searches that you did and then starting to recommend books or, or, or you know, DVDs in those days or whatever it might be that, that suited your, your sort of profile. And that at its very basic mm. level, I think, is what AI was machine learning and of course now um it's just exponentially i i think um expanded um i hear uh from some of my other um technology work that i do that, that london absolutely is yes. the center of ai intelligence at the moment with really talented people working on it and i think um i think we're recognized as one of the well of the leading light globally at the moment mm. in um ai development which is which is amazing um, the other thing I'm quite interested in in terms of the food aspect is uh, robotics as well, um, using AI and robotics to, to, to try and replace some of the, you know, sort of perhaps more mundane tasks that are happening in the food sector. So, again, the most obvious thing is you go into, in my case, Harrods. Of course. Of course, it's the only shop. Yeah, not, that not is, after, no, that's where Sue shops. Not after Christmas, milk. I can tell you, I'm <laughs> But, um, you know, you go into um, a retailer and, of course, now you scan your own stuff and, and you do all that. Well, that is a robot. It, you know, robots aren't necessarily replicants of, of human beings, you know, that you see on sort of sky-fi things. That these are paying at the pump of a petrol station and, and, and actually taking more control of doing those things yourself. I think one of the arguments is that that's going to make huge numbers of people redundant. Uh, that's completely and utterly untrue. It, it's a ridiculous thing to say that. What it is going to do is it's going to displace people's employment because they need to be skilled in other ways. So we need to get a whole generation of people more digitally enabled because actually if you work in, let's say, I don't know, Tesco's and you were on the checkout, you now need to be in charge of the automated tills where you can help somebody through it. You know, So you, you, your skills need to change. Um, and I think there's... For me, I think it's hugely exciting because what it's going to do is it's going to release a lot of people from some incredibly mundane, boring drudgery that, that, that we all want done in our lives and, and hopefully a lot of that can be replaced. So I, I find it very exciting, but a lot of people are quite disturbed by it. Look, it's obviously got the disturbing elements. I think everyone has, has acknowledged that the dangers in, in warfare and other areas of AI is clearly terrifying. But I think particularly in medicine and other areas where actually you're able to learn and, and, and handle huge data sources. And I think about it from the kind of job that I do, if you can start to predict what people are going to be interested in, mm. you can start to nudge people in the direction you want to nudge them in. And if you think you know, marketing fundamentally is about understanding human behavior and working how you change human, consumer behavior. And I think with some of the big global challenges we face nowadays, whether it's climate change, whether it's obesity, you know, whether it's you know, particular eating habits, actually if you can learn and understand and encourage people to do the right thing and work out what works, and, and that's about understanding big data and analysing it. And, and, and the most exciting area for me is health, actually healthcare. Yeah. Um, so again, you can predict or you can track somebody's movements, you know, if somebody wants to be independent and live at home, uh, um, uh, and then you can think, well, that person hasn't turned the kettle on for 
the last two or three hours where they normally do or or haven't opened the fridge or haven't done, you know, and there's some really amazing things in terms of healthcare. Um, uh, and I think that's sort of tech for good, which is, which is what I'm hoping. Um, leading on from that, just went off on one there, sorry about that. Um, uh, Spoon Guru. So so um, it's true to say, isn't it, Marcus, that you're, you're, you're using artificial intelligence in, in the food sector. Can you just explain how... Well, first of all, do you agree with our interpretation of artificial intelligence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was spot on. I mean... Oh, We're safe. Yeah. yeah. Safe, yeah. So, so it was a shame to cut the interview at that point, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so artificial intelligence basically helps you make sense of unstructured data and it helps you identify patterns within huge unstructured uh, data sets. And... Um, and I get excited about AI when it is being used, when it's being put to great use. And, uh, you know, we've identified a problem people have when it comes to food search and discovery. And AI is a perfect uh, mechanism for us to solve that specific use case. Mm-hmm. So how do you use it for your, um, your particular area? So maybe I'll start um, describing the problem first. So we, we set up this company because we became aware of a huge problem people have when it comes to food search and discovery. Most of us have now some kind of dietary requirement. I know there are some vegans here. Some people want to make healthier choices. Some people are affected by allergy. Um, some people have really religious requirements. And as soon as you have any specific dietary preference or health objective, trying to find suitable foods for your needs is pr- practically impossible. You know, you have to read uh, the back of packets. Um, finding suitable recipes is difficult. Trying to work out what an E204 is, is is really difficult. So that's basically what we're trying to solve. We we set up this company effectively to become like Google for food, and um, and we use AI specifically to make sense of huge sets of metadata. We analyze product metadata. Uh, we run it through a very sophisticated algorithm. We crunch more than 14 billion data points data points on a on a on a daily basis. We basically uh, we analyze those. Um, data points and we sign dietary attributes to f- individual food products and recipes to help people find whatever it is they're looking for. So give me an example. Um, so so let's say, um, oh, that's quite a good one. Let's say we take a breakfast cereal, mm-hmm. I don't know, Kellogg's cornflakes or something. Um, would you be able to, am, am I going completely in the wrong direction here? No, 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 no absolutely. Would so you be able to just tell us exactly, yeah. you, you know, if you... you we, we, we basically would we would look at the metadata available at that product, whatever, what the, we would look at the ingredients, at even at the marketing blurbs, at the factory information, um, at the nutritional information, and then we, we would run that information through our algorithms and then we would assign hundreds and hundreds of dietary attributes. So we would then be able to identify, okay, this product is vegan, it's vegetarian, it may be kosher, it may be low in salt, it may be high in fib- fibre, maybe low in sugar, and so on. So hundreds and hundreds of dietary attributes are then assigned to that product. So, that you're, might, so, so you're trying to standardise the, the data overlay that sits over products that are obviously produced by millions of different manufacturers who actually yeah. handle the data in loads of different ways to yeah. create a way of interfacing with it. Yeah, because yeah. some products might not even realise that they were kosher. Well, exactly. That's one of them. You know, so they wouldn't actually promote it as kosher because they didn't even know that. Yeah, and while that... that sense, yeah. yeah, or they don't want to... Prom- I mean, I know there's a whole debate about, you know, which I know certainly vegan products question, which is, you know, just because you're a vegan product, you don't necessarily say you're a vegan product. Yeah. There are lots of things that are vegan that you don't, you know... Yeah, they're accidentally... That, 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 banana. That, 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 Fro- frozen yeah. peas, yeah. yeah. Or banana, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And that level of information 
and, and we basically license our technology to retailers around the world and we enable them to respond to consumer queries. Okay, find me healthy desserts or vegan snacks or kosher lasagna. So are you powering their websites or their back office requirements or both? Uh, both. And it's also, it's, it's an in-store application as well. So it could, this information can be used for digital shelf edge technology, for in-store kiosks. But the, one of the obvious use cases is e-commerce. And this, this metadata tends to get integrated with all of their back office functions. But it not, not only does it allow you to respond to complex search queries, it also allows you to, 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 to make more ac um, accurate recommendations. Because once you understand that a, a household has a certain propensity to buy healthy foods um, or vegan foods, um, you can then use that information to pro provide a more curated service. We call it like a Netflix-type yeah, service yeah. where you understand person's preference and then you uh, recommend appropriate products i've i've been a vegan for 20 years my supermarket should know that but i still get bombarded with adverts for christmas turkeys every <laughs> single time when we hit christmas yeah and that's crazy it's a, if from a marketing perspective it's a complete waste of real estate yeah, yeah. it's incredibly frustrating to me and it's a lost uh, it's a lost opportunity can you imagine that holly walking into a farm shop or a, a deli and, and just being able to wander around knowing that you were i, I don't know let's say uh, um gluten intolerant or something and you literally it would allow you to wander around and, and just pick exactly what you needed knowing what what would so you haven't got to look on the back mm. of every packet that would be amazing it's almost like um futuristic version of really really good customer service so like at a farm shop you know they'll have regular customers so they'd know that regular customer comes in they're veggie or they particularly like this kind of cheese so they naturally kind of would direct people to recommend people to those kind of things. So it's just, I mean, everyone likes personalization and great customer service and feeling like, I don't know, they're a bit special and unique and being looked after. Mm. I think the opposite is true as well, though. In, in, in uh, you know, what Marcus was saying is I get very irritated when I get bombarded with ads, which they should know mm. is, is not my preference or not what I want. Yeah. Um, and, and that can be you know, that can be counterproductive, can't it, in, in, in the advertising space? Mm. The difficulty, I think, is, and, and there's, there's this wonderful tension on this, which is people get freaked out if you use that data too effectively. Mm. So I start saying, look, here is the beef fat that you particularly like from Harrods. And you're like, hey, have you looked at my radio program? <laughs> yeah, very funny. And, you know, is it beef tripping, isn't it? Mm. Is it beef tripping? I'm not answering. Well, well, I'm not asking. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it's, but there's also the trick, I think, which is that actually if you understand people well enough, you can introduce them to things. And I think one of the issues around when you've got very strict dietary requirements, whether for religious reasons or health reasons, actually discovering new products is really difficult. Mm -hmm. And so the element of discovery, actually, if you can, if you know, if you try this, you know, there are those things, if you buy this, you will like this. Amazon do it Mm -hmm. based on one thing but this is another whole level in some way mm -hmm. it's very interesting I mean that's fun fundamentally that's our that's our mission statement we want to take the hassle out of um, finding the right food for your specific needs and that's why we set up this company because I observed exactly what you've just described my wife has got a number of allergies and intolerances and I saw her once again struggling in a supermarket finding trying to find the right product and trying to work out what, what the ingredient list was and I knew only one I knew two things at the time one was there's a lot of people with specific dietary preferences and the products exist. There's a wealth of products out there. But what seems to be missing, missing is a bit in between. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to solve through, through and, the application. For and AI. it's growing. And I mean, there's no question in my mind that I think people are increasing. We've talked about this consistently over this program over the years, which is there is more and more awareness and, and choice where people may not be, you know, 
uh, medically you know, medically uh, driven them, to be gluten free, but they choose to be gluten free, yeah. and and it's you know it's complicated for brands because brands are now catering to a much larger audience. These are mass market brands that need to deal with the complexity of actually catering to both medical gluten intolerance. Mm-hmm. And voluntary gluten intolerance, yeah. and you need the same level of, of kind of you know responsibility across that. So and, and that's yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and it it, it branches into health because you know whether you have a medical requirement or religious requirement or you're a strict uh, vegan, most of us want to be healthier. Seventy percent of the UK population would like to make healthier choices. Seventy two percent say they find they find it difficult to find suitable. It's so food. complicated. So just if I want to find high fiber foods or low salt cake you know um why why and why can't my supermarket support that use case and why can't google support that use case you know and that's but to your point that's absolutely right people now search by attribute they don't search by brand anymore mm. they search by i want i want a low sugar dessert mm. or a meat-free lasagna or you know um yeah. so so helena you, you're part of a partnership that set up true yeah uh, could you just explain your product and then can you could you see how you might use this oh absolutely Definitely, because we, we we are one of the choices that consumers can make, but we're a small brand, you know, and we have very deliberately created a product range that hits certain consumer groups with specific needs. So True is all about gut health. We're a gut health company. That means we create products that are very high in fibre and don't contain any potential gut irritants. So that means we're low sugar, we don't have any emulsifiers, we're gluten-free, we're wheat-free, we're dairy-free. We're trying to kind of tick all of the potential dietary issues. But another thing we are also is plastic-free mm. because as well as being um, a food company that offers great choices of food we also want to be a b corporation and we want to be a a company of the future that does things right you know Mm. our name is true right so we can't be doing anything dodgy and that's great i really love that you've got and and we are authentic to the core you know that's Mm. what it's all about so um if we can help consumers find us because we do tick their boxes then isn't that fantastic because i don't have the advertising budget of kellogg's to shout and say we're high in fiber and actually they're not really that high in fiber um you know, it's um, we're playing the claim game and we're trying to get our point across socially, but it's damn hard when you're little. I'd love but to be know, able to put in a search function where something was plastic-free. I'd really like to do that. But you know, it's really interesting. I was looking at some of the Mintel reports on meat-free foods from 2019, and one of the things that really comes true clear is that there are lots of brands that are jumping on the kind of the, the better-for-you environment bandwagon, right? But they're actually not delivering on the plastics point. So actually the number of people who are then saying we've got the joined up supply chain, you know, so actually there's, I mean, this is where I think, you know, the other level of this is is, is that element of the kind of the conscious element Mm -hmm. of it, which is, you know, to choose meat free or gluten free is actually just the dietary part of it. The other part of it is, you say, Mm -hmm. plastic free. It's what's the supply chain. And I think what's interesting is this whole traceability thing is a minefield. Mm -hmm. But if you can actually trust someone on it, which is what it's the really B-Core hard thing to comes That's what the B Core thing does. And actually, you know, it's veganuary, right? Um, it's veganism has grown massively. You've seen all the statistics about it. We are finding that people buy us because we're vegan, but they also buy us because we're vegan and plastic free. Mm. And and we are authentic and we are doing the right thing because those kind of consumers are the conscious consumers who care about the whole gut thing. They don't just want one little element. You can't just take one box. You got to take them all. And yeah. so you should. Yeah. yeah. But as I would say, the problem, I mean, the, the vegan thing is, look, it's, it's clearly growing massively. 
but it's still only 1% of the UK. And I think the real opportunity actually is, you know, from a financial perspective, is actually the flexitarian space. Absolutely. And actually people who, and this is where taste comes into play and also the wider questions, which is I am not going to buy a product that is vegan and tastes like rubbish and has a terrible carbon footprint. Mm. That takes no box. It's all back to the treading lightly thing, you know, because I'm not vegan, but I try to be as vegan as I can be. I do like cheese. I have a thing about cheese. I do like bacon. But if I can just tread a little bit more lightly. Life is not worth living without cheese and bacon. Cheese and bacon are quite important, you know. (laughs) Sorry, um, Marcus. (laughs) I am sorry, but I do eat, I I haven't had any vegetables, I didn't have anything bad yesterday. So I was one day, you know, one day at a time. Three Um, cocktails, but I don't count. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Come on, you know, you've got to do your own little tiny bit. Um, I'm treading very lightly, but I would like to think that I'm giving consumers a choice and that's the important thing is giving them choices but somehow getting them to know about it that's the challenge mm. so Helen do you mind dishing up some breakfast no, when we talk I'm to Nick ready to do that um, Nick now can you just explain now I know you're a passionate foodie and I know I, I know you sort of uh, you know change from doing finance good move to um, helping people eat better really um, you've got a food service system and you've also got your own sort of retail outlet but I know for you the food service system is probably the most important thing um Food is really, really important to you, isn't it? As a power for good, I would say. It is, yeah. I think just um, it's amazing to be here in the show and actually with people around that actually share the same mission. But um, when I used to work in finance, I got sick one day. Kind of no one knew what was wrong with me. And I went around from doctor to doctor um, telling me that I got to take a bunch of pills for the rest of my life. And I was 28 at that time and it wasn't very empowering. Um, long story short, by uh, changing my diet and what I was eating, I ended up changing my uh, my life. And the problem that created is I started eating stuff that was good for my body, but there was no such service. Um, I think uh, Marx's company was just being founded. Um, There's no such service to help you make those choices, make choices that are good for you. Because health, we believe, is ultimately personal. What's healthy for you might not be healthy for you, and so on. So... Yeah, it's very dear to me, food and helping people eat better. Um, I think that um, we focus, we work with restaurants to help them give their customers more transparency um, and more information about their menu. So um, you'd see us in restaurants. We actually just, um, I can show you in a bit, but we just we just launched uh, Leon um, last week and where we provide, you can go into Leon and see the menu and see all the transparency about um nutrition, but also allergens and ingredients and everything that goes into it and help you make choices around those factors so it's easier for you to eat. Sorry, um, we're eating breakfast while you're talking. Do carry on. No, that's okay. It looks delicious. <laughs> I can't wait to have it. Um, so, yeah, so um, our journey is to improve the way the world eats and that is by giving convenience and transparency and control to the end consumer so they can make better choices. But, but ultimately you're working for the restaurants themselves because... Ollie and I have spoken about this quite a lot. We think it would be horrendous to run a restaurant now in terms of, of just the responsibility of, of getting it wrong. And, and that's not you cooking stuff, it's your suppliers, um, keeping tabs on your suppliers about, you know, is something gluten-free, is it lactose-free, you know, is it all this, that, that and the other. And, and and I think what you're trying to do is help the restaurateur to cut through all that because it's hugely, well, it's incredibly worrying, but, but, but hugely difficult to handle. Mm. And on the other side of that, of course, you then are allowing the consumer to, to absolutely be able to make choices because they can see and be 
safe and secure in the knowledge that what they're going to get is not going to end up in A&E that, that, that night or something. But I think the other thing for me that's exciting about what you guys are doing is that you are centralising this problem. And I think, you know, it, it, God help us if everyone invents their own solution to yeah. to these problems. And look, okay, so McDonald's can and Burger King can and, you know, people like Leon probably could. Yeah, but, pro- they probably don't but actually be. what's great is if a Leon doesn't and actually leverages and works someone like you, actually then helps the smaller company that has two or three stores that actually is then able to access a SaaS platform like yours and actually be able to get access to stuff they could never build themselves. And I think one of the things that keeps the restaurant industry vibrant in this country is independence. But one of my great fears for them is how on earth they keep up to date with the technology that is going to be required to safely run a restaurant in the future with all the requirements that are there. Mm. That, that's exactly it. It's, it's extremely expensive to do to do this kind of technology in-house of yourself. And if you have billions of dollars and... I think McDonald's just in the last 12 months spent 400 million just acquiring some small tech companies to complement what they already had. Um, so unless you have that kind of money, you're never really going to end up building it yourself. Um, so this is where we come in. We help from the smallest independent just started to the more um, Yosushi, Leon, the bigger kind of brands, um, also um, provide this transparency control and also leverage AI to help the customers actually get a good recommendation. But what I was fascinated by you guys is you actually set up your own restaurants, you know, and, and I know you're a data company, really, but what you did is set up your own couple of restaurants to actually prove this this concept and get it right. I mean, that's an extraordinary thing to do. And stupid, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and probably stupid as well. But. No, it was, so when um, my co-founder, Stefan, is, is an engineer, um, I came from finance, um, basically, didn't none of us had massive foodies cooked a lot, but didn't really have any experience. And um, the best way for us to understand what the problem was and how what this sorry, we knew what the problem was, uh, but we didn't know what the solution was. The best way to understand that was to actually go and do it. So we took a fail of a restaurant, spend fifty thousand pounds doing it up, painting it ourselves, buying oven, and then opened it, and then started building software in the restaurant day in and day out based on the problems that were coming up. And that journey allowed us to have a deep insight into what is it that the consumer wants, run thousands of experiments to understand which way, what it should look like, what the technology in the foods inside the restaurant should look like, how where it should appear, how invasive. Um, so it allowed us for the last four years to really run all these experiments and understand and get an insight of what does great look like. But I think, I think it's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why you won the um, the Technology Future Food Award. Because mm. um, we were bowled over, weren't we, Holly, by the fact that, that you've actually, you've sort of proved it yourself. And what you've done is practical. And the problem, of course, with dealing with AI and, and loads and loads of data and digital is you can get very carried away with with the solution but you're not at, you're not actually solving anything you know you, you end up creating something amazing but oh has it got a practical use you you absolutely fundamentally <coughs> rooted your company in solving practical problems not even knowing what some of those would be i mean that's the great thing about running your own thing is you suddenly start to realize what some of the issues are mm. and actually kind of putting yourself in the shoes of clients yeah it's just incredible. No, I mean, no one really does that. It's and like you said, very difficult. Fifty thousand pounds and painting the restaurant yourself, and it's it's just such an investment. Hmm. Hmm. Very good. But, it's, but I think, I think this, but I also <laughs> think I mean, it's like you know some of the best. I mean, I used to work in an innovation consultancy, and the way we used to try and do in, in store innovation was about live testing. 
And the fact is, is that actually what it gives you is basically a live testing lab and all the supermarkets have, you know, their mock-up stores where they're playing with mm. things. And I, God, I feel so sorry for the consumers whose local shop is one of those stores where everything's constantly moving around and there's always change. But, you know, you guys are actually able to test. And I think what's exciting is that you started with a small base. It's three stores. You weren't McDonald's trying to roll this out and then drop it to everyone else. I mean, I think it's a really interesting thing. The stores, the restaurants are still going as well, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are they still your biggest headache? Yes. <laughs> the also, also the biggest learning, but uh, also the biggest headache. So yeah, we're. Um, I think the the um, interesting thing is that by having you could you could experiment with a client. You can say, oh, let's let's partner up, let's choose one of your stores and try things out. And we tried that. It doesn't really work because they're very conservative. I was like, whoa, 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 rip everything out. That doesn't sound sensible. What do you mean, take no cash? Like so. The sooner, like you could technically do this with mm. uh, with clients, but really that is reality. Being very radical and testing things out and not being afraid of failing is... is and failing quickly. Where are we on the cash thing? So how so so cash, so in your restaurants, what percentage is cash? 100%. So 100%, 100% no cash? Sorry, 100% digital, yeah. 100% digital. And how far is that future, do you think, in a place like London? Like in, in, the, in the fast food world... So what what we're seeing from clients, forget our, our showroom and yeah. lab because that's maybe an outlier. What we're seeing is in London, and it varies a bit on the area of London, but if you look at zone one, it's about 96% card wow. at the moment. Yeah, um, see, see, I, I never... Nationwide is 80%. Cash. I never use cash. Um, and I've just been away on holiday and I did the same as an experiment last summer. I went to America, Canada and Iceland for three weeks. And I never changed up any money and I never paid for anything in cash for three weeks in three countries, not a single thing. And it's, it's, poss- it's easy to do. It's really easy to do. And I never use money in London either. It's actually more difficult if you wanted to take the cash, take the cash, exchange it, mm. or go to cash point, get, get the local currency. But part of my holiday used to be going changing money up. I don't change it anymore. Was, I don't that, even bother. That was, that was the beginning of the holiday. You went to Thomas Cook. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> the in peace. It's all past um, the experience. And, exactly. Yeah. And then you went Traveler's and got your traveller's check. <laughs> and, and then you were like, yeah. okay. Mm. <laughs> so, so moving on to Spoon Guru again. Um, you've you've got a relationship with Tesco's now, mm. haven't you? So how's, how's that working? Is it is it working in the same way that, that Nick's describing? Yes. In a way, you're providing them with with your knowledge and your your and our technology yeah. and your technology. We license our technology to Tesco um, and and retailers around the world. And mm. uh, getting Tesco was a phenomenal you know achievement for us. You know. For so what starter. do you do for them exactly? How does it? Are you allowed to say? Um, I can tell you some things. Yeah, no, um, at a high <clears> level. Yeah. So they basically send us the entire product catalogue on a daily basis, all of their products, wow. and we run it through our algorithms and uh, crunch an enormous data set and send it back to them. You know, uh, optimized, standardized data, um, and they use that dietary attribution to provide more relevant shopping experiences to their customers. Um, so if you go to Tesco.com now and you search for gluten-free cake or um, high-fiber something or snacks, yeah, mm. all the search results that come back say powered by Spoon Guru. That's that's our business. And is that model. through just their own products or through any? No, all of them. A- anything they sell. Yeah. Mm. And what's the so? I mean, I did some work. Um, I'm sorry for mentioning this word for Kellogg's at one point. Mm-hmm. And obviously, their product is completely different in different markets. Yeah. Are you very much focused on the UK and addressing that, or are you actually 
acknowledging the sheer complexity of the global supply chain and yeah uh, so we acknowledge um the local requirements so we work with retailers around the world like i said so when we work with somebody in australia we obviously we look at the um the regional and local um regulations government stipulations uh the the composition of the products that are being sold there definitions change even the vegan de- definition changes from territory to territory some consider honey okay others don't um the kosher definition changes from territory to territory is it and low yeah thresholds low sugar thresholds salt thresholds obviously they're based on government guidelines so they change so yes we work we we work with our partners in their respective territory to make sure everything is compliant with what the consumer is hoping to get in in that region God, it's phenomenal, isn't it? It's fascinating. I mean, it's it, it's so interesting because I think, you know, I look at, you know, so so I work for Hearst and, you know, we've got massive databases of recipes and stuff. And, you know, more and more people are coming to us for specific things. And, and, and you're right in identifying the fact that it's increasingly complicated. Is it someone who wants a high protein diet that's focused on, you know, weight building and fitness? Or is it someone who's got a particular allergy? And, you know, actually managing all that is really difficult. Mm, it is. Incredible. Oh, it just makes my head explode. Um, so while I'm just processing that, can I come back to you, Helena? Of course you So can. I've just eaten my breakfast. Thank you. That was lovely. I'm glad you like mm. it. Nick's sort of trying to crunch his without making a noise on the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, just tell me a little bit about gut health. So can you, you know, is there a real section of society who really want to look after their gut health because they're beginning to understand what that means, which is where then... Marcus comes in because you could actually search for something Absolutely. like that. Are you finding a real interest in that? Look, it's really early days with the words gut health. Right. And people are kind of, there's more and more news stories coming out explaining about the gut-brain axis um, because now we're discovering that diseases like Parkinson's disease, conditions like depression could all be related back to your gut health and I, frankly I think this is amazing and it just fills me with joy and purpose because I just think of all of these things that people go through if we can solve some of those problems by changing diet in such an easy way why on earth wouldn't we do it but then that's that, sort of what was Nick's saying that's why he went into the food so business simple, in the first place. you know you just yeah. think it breaks my heart you know my cousin's diabetic and I was just saying to him Scott, you can you can solve this, you know. There's a big chance you can solve it through changing your diet and doing more mm. exercise. And, and you know, that's the truth, you mm. know. And it's the science is emerging and it's not all there yet, so we can't make the claims. But the future is looking really, really amazing. Now, the science that does exist and the things that are true is the, the things about fibre. And that's what really, right now, whilst we can't talk a lot about gut health because of the claims, we can talk a lot about fibre because that's quite simple and straightforward. But so, so many people are cutting carbohydrates out of their diet, which is a huge it's mistake. It's really wrong. It? I mean, it's fundamentally wrong. As in carbohydrates wrong. is a big block of things, yep. whereas obviously they can be split into different Things. And why do you say it's wrong? Because you, if you don't get your thirty grams of fibre a day, there's a much bigger chance that you're going to you you are in all kinds of trouble. Mm. You know that the facts are there. The um, there was a uh, a thing in the Lancet last year which said that you're twenty five percent more likely to die of a killer disease if you don't eat thirty grams of fibre a day. That's one one statistic. The other terrible statistic is that eighty nine percent of people in the UK do not eat thirty grams of fibre a day. Um, more women don't eat the right amount because they're just eating less in total so that's, that's so what is so to get 30 grams because obviously you know you, you you hear these statistics so what yep. is what does 30 grams of fiber look like okay um we're trying to make it simple and say that every portion of true is 25 is at least 25 percent. so at least eight grams of fiber you're getting in true a bowl of true now that's that's 
you know, we, we're beefing up the fibre to, to make it nice and simple for people. In other things, an apple is four grams of fibre. Chickpeas, that's probably about four grams of fibre in a reasonable size bowl. Um, it's, it's quite hard and it's a big education process that we need to help consumers through. That's quite, you've, got to, you've got to work quite hard to get to your limit. Or... Um, if you eat a lot of vegetables and you need to eat a lot of vegetables, then you're Veggies fine. Are there. Vegetables mm. are the future. Nuts are there. Seeds. Vegetables, mm. nuts, seeds. Um, and whole grains. Yeah. That's where, where you get it from. And that we try and give people as much inspiration as possible. Now, the biggest challenge we have, and this is the one thing that I just don't know how I'm going to, how I conquer this, is that it's not it's not a mandatory requirement to put fibre on the pack. Right. That's a, it's, it's, it's not within the guidelines, which how ridiculous. If you look at all the nutrients that we have on the back of pack, there isn't a gap as big as the fibre gap. The fibre fiber is where we've got the biggest issue. Yet, you don't have to put it on your pack how completely ridiculous is that so you know we follow join the dots people are mm. dying unnecessarily because they're not eating enough fiber but we don't tell them how much fiber is in products so how can what? they make any decisions how do we, sol- how do we solve mm. this problem marcus you can know? tell you though come on marcus what are we going to do <laughs> technology is your friend technology is mm. our friends but it's just getting consumers to yeah. understand but but it's difficult because you know what we, you know. Look, I think the one thing that's probably landed over the last ten years is five a day. Yeah, you know that is that is a government initiative that actually I've never even heard of it. Five vegetables a day. Oh, five five, five a day. You're, you're, no, five, five a day. Five, five a day. Five well, a that's day. all rubbish, though, isn't it? Well, no, no, but, but ten a day. It was. Say the reality is, it should be ten a day. Yeah. A day. But the, the I, I did actually do a little project on that. Um, but. If you say to consumers 10 a day, they can't possibly get their head around eating 10 portions a day. Mm. So it was watered down to five, but people don't even have two. So, you know, it is a massive But what I was going to say is that actually, you know, I think people are juggling a lot. You know, you're trying to deal with, you know, trying to cut down on meat, you're trying to do five a day... We're trying to make better cocktails. We haven't talked about that yet. (laughs) Um, You know, there's all that kind of... You know, I do think that... I think at times, and we often say this, is that... You know, you sort of get back to the idea that actually, look, if you cook from scratch and you cook with lots of vegetables and fish, but whole wheat pasta or, or you know, whole wheat bread is is fine too. But it's been yep. sort of demonised to some extent, and hasn't it? Variety is also really, really important, mm. and that's just part of the messages that we're trying to get through to consumers: is that diversity is good, vegetables are good, mm. fibre is good. Just mm. trying to eat healthy food, healthy food, and also to encourage food service to do the same. You know, we, we all this white stuff that you get that's convenient is not good for you. We have to stop serving it. There must be so many people as well who, because they're busy and they're looking for convenient options and they know they now need to tick the gut health box, so they're just popping a probiotic in order to kind of, you know, make their gut a bit healthier and think that that's that job done. But again, that's what not... Nick said, you know, he gets a diagnosis and actually mm. somebody's just saying, take a load of pills. It doesn't quite work like that, does it, yeah. Nick? It's all about the food. And it also takes the fun out of food. It's surely you can't live through pills, you know. And that's also probiotics are only it's the, it's the bacteria. It's not the fibre that that needs to feed yeah. that bacteria. So it's only part of the picture. It's only isn't it? part of the yeah. part of the story. We've just got a couple of facts here. Um, there are over hundred million brain cells in your gut. Do you know what that means? And it has its own nervous system. So if the main nerve between your gut and your brain was to be damaged or cut, the gut would still be able to function independently. Yeah, I've read that. Apparently. And the gut provides more neurotransmitters, which affects your mood and behaviour, than the brain. 
So and if your tummy's not happy, you're not happy. This is the whole really. brain axis. And we kind of knew, you kind of feel that, yeah. don't you? You kind of feel it. But now the science is coming to prove it. Mm. And I just think it's it is so exciting for the future. And this but is, it um, will require people to make dietary changes and that's the biggest challenge. And this is interesting for me. Everyone's gut is unique. I tried yep. to think what Ollie's is like. Even Very twins. Even, Even identical twins. twins who share 99.5% of their genes only share about 20% of their microbiome. Amazing. It is amazing. There's, Tim Spector's been doing some fantastic research into this in, in Britain. Um, and yeah, do watch out, do look out for it because it's, you know, when you see a fat twin and a thin twin, um, a lot of that is to do with their amount of fibre they consume and their microbiome. That's the difference. Fascinating. So if I eat lots of fibre, am I going to be really slim? Is that what you're saying? You've got a better chance of being slim. <laughs> it depends what else you eat. It doesn't matter. Was, everything was, in moderation. You can't just. Ridiculous. Yeah. I was just being ridiculous. With 17 chocolate cakes, 13 pints of beer, and stuff. That yeah. Probably, yeah. Or what Holly had for breakfast this morning, which well, was Holly. It was um, a delicious crosstown donut, uh, peanut butter and jam donut. <laughs> peanut butter but, is good. Yeah, it, it was a treat. Jam and donut. Just add obviously, to that. it was Helena, a massive treat. Please. <laughs> Celebrating into the middle of January. Exactly. Yeah. And I was kind of intermittent fasting because it's the first thing I ate at like 11 o'clock. So wow. it's fine. Nobody I around pro- this table I'm, I'm a big one in ba- of balance. <laughs> it's totally fine. Balance? I'm sorry, everybody. It's like the first, but it was it's like delicious. The, it's like saying the first thing I had today was a martini at 11. You know, it, was, it was only 11 and then, you know, well, that was I hadn't yesterday. had anything. <laughs> okay, uh, just uh, to go around the table as we're uh, finishing the programme. Nick, what, what's your plans for Vita Mojo now? I mean, um, it's an extraordinary company. And uh, to be honest, if you're if you are running a restaurant, it's something you should be checking out because they're going to take a massive headache away from you. But what, what's your plans? World domination? <laughs> um, we're we're really we're a British company. We're based in Britain, and our objective is really to get as many of the restaurants in the UK to adopt technology that helps the consumer eat more healthy. Mm. Fiber is one of them. Low sugar is another one, um, etc. So. Um, we put in kiosk or order, order the table solutions in restaurants to be able to see the menu in that 3D version. So our plan is really around the UK. Um, we already started in Spain last year and some of our clients are pulling us to the US and other countries. So yes, we're probably making some um, some moves outside of the UK, wow. but I'm particularly passionate and want to see the UK food market um, reach its potential mm. because it's, it's, it's a pity to see this many people who are getting sick and this many, the solution being there, they're just not using it, yeah. as as we've seen with with the gut health as well. So, and I do think, like um, Helen is saying, it is that actually it gives a much better level playing field for smaller brands because what you're searching for is the information, not the name of the brand, the name, yeah. which which is you know is, is very helpful, isn't it? Um, and again, Marcus Strip of um, Spoon Guru, blimey, what are you going to do with that? I mean. <laughs> What's your plans for world domination? It's, it's been a super exciting journey. So we are busy um, signing up retailers around the world. And once we've solved that problem, hopefully we can branch out into other areas like hospitality and restaurants mm. and tourism. So are you just going after the big guys at the moment or can anybody come and see if you could help them? We are focused on going after the big retailers at this point. Mm. But anybody can really benefit from our, our okay. technology. Sure. Well, um, as usual, we'll have links um, both to Vita Mojo and Spoon Guru. And um, Anna, what's what's the um, plans for True? I just had a nice breakfast. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it was delicious. I think it was, it was really, very nice. really lovely. Tasty. Really lovely. Thank you lovely. very much. So our plan is to try and get people to know who True, what True is all about. Um, 
as many people in as we can in the UK to start with. You know, we're in Sainsbury's, um, we're in Ocado, Milk and More. There's lots of good companies that are stocking us. So we are Holland, Holland and Barrett. We're in most of those stores. So people can get us, but they don't know who we are. So we just need to try and explain. So that's the kind of like external thing. And then the internal thing has got to be to get our B Corps this year, um, which I just kind of, I'm so excited about because it's everything that I feel passionate about. Mm. And why wouldn't you do your and business that way? I love the fact way? that it's plastic free. As technology is changing, it's hard to tell. When well, we've got plastic. a new product out, which is hopefully going to. So is that what? So, so your packaging is what pa- paper? Paper. Yeah, yeah, and it's. You know, we, why shouldn't we, it be? Well, this is it. Uh, you you know, know, why would it not be? We launched this two years ago in paper in paper bags. Um, I don't, and I could have. We were saying it's not going to be long. Everybody's going to be doing it soon. So we haven't got much of a, a time on this. And two years later. We're still the only one. And it's but, but it's because people build integrated supply chains where they put the certain wraps in and that's what you do. And you know the cost of, of, of writing off that, all. dismantling yeah. that and writing yep. off that, that, you know... And it's slower. Facility. It's slower yeah, to I'm produce. Sure you know what? But surely it's worth being slow and, plas- and paper. Surely it's got to be worth making yeah. some of those compromises. My children wouldn't let me do anything else. Mm. Yeah, well, children. Good for them. <laughs> what are they? Um, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show and as you know, we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. Um, Thank you so much to Marcus, Helena and Nick. Loads of details about those companies on the website. And um, thank you to my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd. Thank you. Very interesting. AI thing, fascinating. It's very interesting. Mm. You're going to have to use it if you're in retail, I think. Any choice. It's wider than that, yeah. Much wider than that. Um, And Holly Shackleton, thanks for, you know trotting along for a change <laughs> I missed you <laughs> I missed you too it was said with so much sincerity I did again. of course I missed you crying every day <laughs> very happy to be back um, but but uh, your your sort of target audience which is independent retailers you know, it's, it's a problem and they're going to have to look at, at solutions to give people more information aren't they yeah definitely I think mm. they're naturally kind of closer to the grassroots and knowing what consumers are after so yeah, any tools that they could adopt as well would be really helpful. welcome. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to recommend any future guests, someone doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. Or if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, go to foodtalk.co.uk or via Speciality Food Magazine website. We're right on the homepage, aren't we, Holly? You are, sure are. Absolutely. Um, and I hope you all have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye bye.